and welcome to Film Kid Asks, the podcast where I ask questions to working professionals in the film industry from the perspective of someone just getting started. My name is Jordan, and today I'm joined by Cynthia Amston, who does public relations and brand strategy at Roundstone Communications. She's also worked as a unit publicist on productions like In the Tall Grass, Orphan Black, Lost Girl, and The Expanse, just to name a few. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Cynthia. You're welcome. So briefly, for those who don't know, what is the job of a unit publicist? Oh, we are the liaison between the media and production. And we are the people who collect all the assets that you would need after you wrap in order to promote your film. Um, We're the ones who manage messaging. We help with controlling the messaging. Uh, The thing is this, if you leave a vacuum, like if you don't put a genre to your film, then you leave it to the press to figure out what it is. So, you know, we make sure that we tailor all of this. So effectively, we teach the press how to watch your film and the press in turn teach the public how to watch your film. Yeah, that's a great way of explaining it. So what does your day-to-day kind of look like then? It looks like hell. (laughs) No, um, I work partially in from my office and uh, the rest of the time I work on set. It starts off with, you know, figuring out, sending out a started production press release. And then um, once that's out, then we go to the press and we try and bring press on set. Effectively, there's, there's five or six components to unit publicity. One of them is the press releases. The next thing is that we work with the stills photographer to figure out what are the best days, how much, you know, what we want them to shoot, the kind of stuff that we need to get. The reason stills are important is before anyone ever is going to see a film, they're going to see a still of the film and that's going to be in the poster. So stills are incredibly important. Uh, we have a gallery shoots, which is what's often used for two things. One for the poster, uh, another for, you know, when you see ads on the side of a bus and they have the actors against a, a clean background, those are gallery, that's a gallery shoot. We handle press on set, obviously. And then um, we handle the EPK interviews, EPK is the electronic press kit. And uh, we, so we, we do that. Um, in my case, because I used to be a journalist, I will do the questions myself. Sometimes you know, publicists hire a producer to come in and do the questioning. I don't do that because I've done thousands, literally, of interviews, so I can do it alone. Um, and then the last thing is we handle the press kit. And the press kit is going to be, you know, a synopsis and then production notes and bios of the actors and bios of the filmmakers. And um, that's what you give to the press for them to write their story. So that often you'll have production notes, which the press will read either before or after they actually see a screener of your film or the TV show. That's the guiding them to learn how to watch what they're watching so that they're not just coming in blank. That's That's fascinating. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. So what's the difference then between your role as a unit publicist and being a festival publicist? Um, Well, first of all, when I'm on set, I look like I'm camping. And when I'm at a festival, I get to actually wear normal clothes and heels, really. Because you don't wear heels on set. It's, you know, it's insurance. You can't do that. Which is why I have 28 black dresses. Really nice black dresses. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I only get to wear them for a 10-day period in a year, which is a diff, and I'm not even wearing them this year. Um, the difference is that a festival publicist or launch publicist will take all of those assets that the unit publicist 
gathered and helped assemble and organized, and they will use them to help promote the film. Uh, if you don't have that, then they have to make sure that that kind of stuff is in place, which usually is a last minute scramble and a, a, a lot of alcohol. <laughs> Fair. Um, <laughs> so as you mentioned, uh, you started your career in journalism and then gradually kind of transitioned into film through press junkets at first and then ghostwriting press kits. What were some of the key things that you learned from journalism that you've brought into your current role? I know you mentioned uh, that you do a lot of the questions yourself, but is there anything else? Well, actually it started before that, near the dawn of time. It started, I was in advertising and I was in, I started, this is back in the day when ad agencies used to actually have a research department and then they phased those out and I just went into marketing. So I already knew all about marketing for advertising and then I eventually became a journalist and from there, I graduated to publicity. So effectively, I've seen all, all sides of this and have been able to employ that, which is tremendously helpful. I mean, there's a lot of advertising theory that does come into play, and it's really quite neat. Um, meaning that you can send out one press release, and if you think that's going to be enough, you're wrong. You have to hit journalists um, a few times with the message before they actually are able to focus on because journalists get like what 12 press releases an hour every hour the value of having been a journalist is i know what they're looking for i know what makes good story so i'm on set and i'll say here's something there's a show that i'm working on right now that's out of town and you know the actors when they travel you know the uh, producers have put together the most amazing quarantine package for them because they've got to sit there in a hotel for 14 days. So the producers have assembled a quarantine package. That's a cute news story, right? So I find stories. I do what I did when I was a journalist, which is you look for angles on how to sell something. It's just now I have a client and the client is the film. I protect the film. I protect the whole production. If it's a TV show, I'm protecting that. That means the cast, the crew, the show itself, uh, the messaging of the show, sometimes actors. You know, you just don't throw people into interviews with, without having done some kind of media training. Sometimes it's what message to say. Sometimes it's simple and you tell them how not to answer a question. 15 years ago, one of the questions that actresses used to have they got all the time, which is like, how old are you? This doesn't get asked anymore, but there had to be a way of getting out of that without actually answering it and without saying, I'm not going to answer that question. Part of that was, was actually sort of figuring out clever ways to answer the question and not sounding angry, right? Because if you're funny about it, it'll be a great answer. If you sound angry, then someone will start digging and Wow. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And yeah, so you kind of started to answer this, um, but getting really specific into your role, because I personally don't know um, entirely how this all works. Uh, so, because I know you're representing the film. So do you also represent festivals? Do you represent individual filmmakers in your role? Like what, who are you representing exactly? Because I know obviously when you're representing a film, it's like all of the members of that, but how, do, how exactly does it work? Um. It depends who's hiring me. I have represented a festival, which means then you sell everything 
when I say sell, you promote everything at the festival. If we're talking about at a festival, if I'm hired to represent the film, then I figure out the best way to get as many interviews as possible. reason for that is simple. It's just buzz, which is what I'm there to create, equals box office. And that helps the sales reps sell. They can sell something if there's like a lot of press. And the example that I'll give you is Inconvenient Indian. Starting last night and for the next four days, try and find an outlet that doesn't have a story on I that's dare awesome. you. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, so like when you're representing a film, do you represent the film up until the festival run? Do you represent it? Like how, how long does that process go on for, I guess? It's a negotiating thing. Normally when you come on as a unit publicist, ideally you start before they go to camera and you stay there until you deliver everything, which is usually two, three weeks after wrap, and then you're done. If you're asked to stay with them through a festival, that's another portion of kind of the deal. And then if you're asked to stay with them until theatrical launch, that's another thing. So one of the examples that I've got is I worked on Sarah Polly's uh, Away From Her, and I was brought on a month before. I wasn't doing a lot, but I was brought on and to work out the strategy for it a month before so that when we got the camera, we weren't trying to figure it out. We already knew what the plan was. And then we just sort of put it into place and it carried through. But I also knew that they wanted me to stay on for the festival. Now, at that time, we did not know that we were getting into TIFF. It wrapped in April of that year. We did get into TIFF. So there were long lead publications. Some of them I brought on on set and they banked everything for what we hoped would be the first festival, which would be in September. But you kind of nurture the press all the way through and, and you sort of, you activate them at the right time. And then after that, they kept me on for launch. So that was the following May, which meant that I went on a cross-country tour with Gordon Pinson, which was heavenly. Uh, but it was just... I knew everything that had been done up to that point and sort of the follow through was really easy. The ideal situation is to come on before you go to camera so you can figure out what your strategy is. We planned away from her all the way to the Oscars. We had no idea that this was going to happen, but the strategy was quite literally, I know where I was standing when we had the conversation and it was just, this is the plan, this is what we're going for. And it happened. And we premiered that year on September 11th, actually. And 48 hours later, they had the deal with Lionsgate. Wow. Like if you're working on a film and you know that you're planning to do the festival circuit and you know that you know when you're shooting, you know when you'll wrap, you know when your post-production will be done, you know which festivals you'll be a contender for, right? And you can plan all that stuff out in advance. It's, it's really incredibly fun doing that. So you kind of already have answered this then. Um, <laughs> I know what the answer will be. When should students and indie filmmakers start to think about marketing and branding on their projects? I would say as soon as you can. There's a film I'm working on right now called Wildhood, 
that shooting in Nova Scotia. And I first met the filmmakers when I was talking up at the producer's lab at CFC. And that's when they were just putting the pitch together for the short film. And the short film was going to be turned into the feature. So I literally have been working on this for since 2018. And we had the whole thing planned out which was great. So when funding document time came along, you know, it was easy to write that stuff. You knew who the target audience was. You knew what the components in the film that were going to appeal to a certain target audience. You can work out your marketing, the cool marketing stuff. It's just the earlier, the better. And then it's completely relaxed. The alternative to that is you don't have a unit publicist. You finish the film and then you think, shit <laughs> oh, we need the stills and we don't have a press book and if we put this into a festival we're going to have to deliver stills we're going to have to deliver a press kit you're going to have to pull clips you're going to have to know your messaging you're going to have to have a decent synopsis so you're going to have it anyway right because the festivals are going to demand it so better to plan it out in advance than have to rely on screen grabs yeah Fair. So what should we be considering in production to make sure and in pre-production to make sure that we have the right materials to later market the film and, and you know, make sure that it's eligible for festivals and we have all the things that we need so that uh, we don't get caught with, you know, caught unawares, I guess. Have a decent stills photographer. And have in your mind when you've got a script what the money shot is. There's always one image that sells a film or a TV show or a web series. This also works for web. I'm working on tokens. You know, I mean, it's just like have the stuff ready. If you're doing a film, you're putting it in a festival, you're going to do the festival circuit, so you got to figure it'll go to five festivals. So you're going to need five sets of fresh images. You're gonna have the one for your poster, you're gonna have one that's just a fabulous photo and you wanna use it every time, but you wanna have a, a set of fresh ones. And the reason why is wonderful. The press will position any story on your film in a better spot in their publication if the art is good. You can have a really crappy film, but if the art's great, they'll still put you up front. It helps amazingly if you've got good photography. A unit publicist used to working with a photographer. You know how to pick the right days, the right scenes. You know, you need good singles. You need shots that are going to tell story because it just works better for your film. So stills are amazing. And the other reason why you want sets of these for a festival is <laughs> you don't want to keep recycling the same images over and over again. Give the press something fresh. Now, the only time that that's different is for a short. Short completely, the, I've been handling shorts at TIFF since 2002. I've got four of them this year, right? And I'm giving them just a ridiculous amount of press. But the cool thing is that with a short, you only need one photo. I'm lying. You need a good shot of the director, because if you're gonna get an interview with the director, the press is gonna say, can you send me a photo with the director? You want a photo of the director on set, sort of like pointing or at the viewfinder, you're at the monitor or something, that kind of thing. You don't want like, you know, the headshot nonsense. You, you want them on set. So you need one of the, of the director. Should you get one of the producer because producers like having their pictures taken? It's just the thing, right? And you need one still. 
just one still, and you use that still thread over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So people see the still, and they operate that film. But you don't want a variety, you just want one. So it's like the opposite, and this is for festivals. Just keep using the same still, use it on your press release, use it on your social media, use it absolutely everywhere. You literally brand the film. That's fascinating. That is such good information to have. So kind of going back to you a little bit, what do you think are some of the most difficult parts of doing publicity for film and TV and web series and <laughs> et cetera? The most difficult thing is when I'm brought on too late because then I'm sort of trying to play catch up. And it's difficult for me because I'll know that, you know, you'll have a script and I could do more with it if I'm given access. And if I'm not given that, it's not going to get promoted properly. You know, it just, it just won't. I can sell anything, like pretty much anything. And if you give me access, like to the actors and, and let me talk to people, then, then that's probably it. And most people are really good about it. Like most producers and directors and everything are, are really pretty fabulous. That's great. Um, so kind of the opposite of that, uh, what are some of the most rewarding and creative parts? Uh, when I watch a film, I like knowing the work that the director has done before. So when I was working with Michelle Latimer, what I did was I made a point of seeing all of her previous work so that when I finally saw Inconvenient Indian, I knew where she was coming from. And then I did the work on the source material, which was Thomas King's book. And what I did on that is, you know how people binge watch TV? Well, I binged listened to the 10 hour reading that Lauren Cardinal did of this book. And it was just, I started and I went 10 straight hours listening to it, which was just this massive core dump of information, which was amazing, right? But the thing is that I knew Michelle's work in advance, right? Because I'd watched it. I listened to the book, so I knew what was coming and I knew all of that. And then I watched what she did with it all. And so when I was sending links to the press, what I did was I said, watch the film and then give it some oxygen, give it a 12 hour stretch, give it overnight, then watch it again. Because you are never gonna get, this thing is a tongue poem. It is art, it's politics, it's a social statement, it is a ton of stuff, but you can't get it all on one, viewing but it needs time to just sing and that was supreme and i mean the, on top of that there was trickster you know which which is also a tip but being able to guide the journalists on how the best way is to watch the material that they're getting and the other thing is in the same way that when you're casting there's a chemistry like what actors and, and the kind of material and can they do timing you know what i like doing is i like knowing the journalists because it used to be one, and putting the right journalist with the right actors, and then knowing who they are. First of all, I mean, they, you know, e-talk is a completely different kind of thing than talking to, you know, Peter Health from the Toronto Star, Barry Hertz from the Globe and Mail. You teach the actors or the director or the producer how, like, what kind of answers the press need, and you show them how to do it, and then you just, you start putting them together, and it's it's like matchmaking. It's just, it's beautiful. It's great. And it works so well. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I can imagine that for sure. So 
for those who are interested in the marketing and business side of film that may want to do PR work, what do you think are the most important skills they can cultivate right now? Okay. Um, well, I can say this because uh, my daughter is now a publicist, which I didn't expect was going to happen, but it is. She's at Freud's in London, and she told me to get out of entertainment and into hospitality because there's, well, there's more perks and less tears. So we'll go with that. But the thing is, uh, she took, she's got a degree in psych, which is always helpful, which is what, oddly enough, I've got. She took clinical, I took experimental. I trained rats, which really qualified me for law. Um, I got a broad education. I didn't go into journalism. I fell into that. But I think a really broad education is good, like a broad liberal arts, something that involves science, that kind of thing. Um, and then you learn your skills. The She took a eight-month course at Centennial in publicity, which you can only get if you've already got a degree. But the thing is that it prepped her really well. But when I say a broad education, because my degree is, you know, in science, in psychology uh, from U of T, I remember when I went for my interview uh, for the movie Splice with Copperheart. And so I go in and I talk to them at Mark Smith at Copperheart. And it was great. It was like an hour interview. Uh, do you know the plot of Splice? Yes. Splice, it's, it's, there's two scientists and they start toying around with genetics and they create a creature called Dren and then Dren grows up and causes roughly the same amount of havoc as my cat does, but on a bigger scale. Um, anyway, so I'm walking out of this meeting and I think, okay, I got to do this. And I said, by the way, in your script, on page 39, there's a reference to the abostoma growth gene. And he goes, okay. And I went, well, you spelled it wrong. Ooh, <laughs> that's a power so, move. It was so cool. <laughs> he looks at me and I thought, either I've completely blown this interview or I just nailed the job. And it turned out it was the latter. But the point is that the broader your knowledge is, the better you are equipped if you're going into publicity to handle something because I mean, I used to do investigative journalism, which I've got to tell you is really fascinating and pays shit, but it's fascinating. But the point is that the projects that come along are so broad ranging, whether they're sci-fi or they're documentaries or politics or policing or uh, polling for elections or genetics or whatever it is. The greater, the broader your knowledge base is, the more equipped you are to walk into a meeting and say, yes. I mean, I just had a meeting about, uh, you know, a documentary on polling and the producer knew nothing about me, but I was actually able to reference at the turn of the century, there was a 45 year study from a group called IDEA out of Norway, where they, they did a 45 year survey of 160 countries and they're voting. And I was actually able to reference that 20 years later when I'm doing a phone interview with a producer about a documentary about election polling. Let me put it this way. You know, when you're in school and you're listening to stuff and you're thinking, I am never going to need this ever, ever. You will. And if you've got it, you'll be able to pull this thing, you know, out of your butt and just throw it on the table and and it impresses the hell with people. It just, they love it. 
But the more you know, just be a sponge. And the other thing is, for the love of God, learn how to write, learn how to construct a sentence, you know, object, verb, subject, just, and don't do comma splices. The number of people who can't write makes me, well, it makes me a real easy sell. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so I have two more questions before I open it up to my friends and uh, I'll try to be quick about them. Um, so just very kind of plainly, when do you think filmmakers should start to think, like especially student filmmakers and like when they're just starting their career to seek representation from a publicist? When you're in pre-production, that's the earliest thing. Sorry, I, the question was unclear. The question that I'm trying to ask is like, at what point in your career is that something that you should start oh. to be looking at? Because, you know, it's, it kind of varies for different people, um, obviously, and different filmmakers. But at what point, like, when you have enough films under your butt, when you've been to certain festivals, but you obviously may not have been to the big ones yet, like, what, um, at what point do you think that's something that people should start to look into? Now, are you talking about a publicist for your project or a publicist for yourself? I guess a publicist for your project, because that's what you do mostly. Um, you know, when, because obviously it'll, if you might have ambitions to get into TIFF, but, um, you know, until you have other festivals under your belt, that's probably not oh. going to happen. Yeah, when do you think? The answer, and the answer is Sleeping Giant. Sleeping Giant was a tiny little film that was made for, you know, peanut butter and jam sandwiches. I mean, it was just really nothing. And it, in 2015, it was the only Canadian film that was invited to screen at Cannes. So I don't care how low budget your show is. I don't care if it's a web series. I don't care if it's a short film. You should actually have a publicist. There's what, normally it's like 80 shorts at, tiff and this year i think it's like cut in half i'm handling four of them i'm getting interviews like a lot of interviews for them they're getting mentions if you want to move your stuff forward the publicist is the person that's going to help it if you don't then you kind of have to hope you just you have to pray a lot the thing is that the fee for a publicist is commensurate with the love with the work that you've got it i mean i have been brought on to handle short films when they are being made. And my fee for something like that's really, like, really low. Because there's not a lot, but the thing is that you help put all of the stuff together for press release to send it out, but that also works. Then you're pretty much organized for when you go into a festival. You've got what you need at that point. There is value to it. You don't have to hit sort of a certain level when you do, you know, a good publicist works as, as, as an advisor as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great to know. So the last question that I have for you, because this is an industry that is really all about connections and the people that you know, how do you think students can start to build those connections? Oh, I just helped one. There's someone at the Toronto Film School, and I just said, 50% is who you know, and 50% is how much they like you. That's it. And the other thing that I, I do have to say is loyalty. That's a big one. On your way up, be nice to people, be really nice to people because that 50% of how much they like you, you may be really, really, really good at your job. If you're not nice, people just don't want to work with you and they'd rather work with someone who did a half-assed job, but they're pleasant to be with. So here's the thing, volunteer like mad and the 
the entire reason for volunteering is to meet as many people as possible, like as many humans in the business as you can possibly meet ever. Do not stop. Just volunteer, put yourself out there. And it's like orbits. It's just, if you're out there, you will intersect with someone else's orbit and that. And strangely enough, I got that advice from Pamela Anderson in the late 90s. Wow. I was, I was a journalist. I was doing an interview for the Globe and Mail for her. And it was for a movie that was like, on, it'll be on no one's list called Barbed Wire. Right? I mean, it's just, it's Pamela Anderson. It's a breast and a gun. That's it. <laughs> and I asked her, you know, like, what was the key? What did this? What moved you along? And she said, I put myself out there and she was the one that made the, the orbit uh, metaphor for me. So that's what I'm going to tell you. Go out, volunteer. The deal is that a lot of volunteering, a lot of the interning and stuff that you can do, there's reasons now why you can't do it for free. So there's like maybe an honorarium in there that is not going to pay anything. But while you're at school, still just ask who you know who will, if they know anyone who just wants an assistant, anything. It doesn't matter if you're in the right area, if you want to produce and they, you know, that someone says they need a PA, do it. Just keep doing it. That's great advice. You have no idea how, how small the business is. And if you're good at what you do and you're charming, it'll work. When you go to parties, like, you know, work film type, you meet people, just put yourself in people's faces and just introduce yourself. At the, the very worst, all they will remember is, oh, there's this film student who just walked up and introduced themselves to me didn't have much to say. And, and they'll, what, what they'll remember is you had sort of the backbone to go and do it. They'll remember that. It's just meet people, tons of them, everyone. Don't stop, ever. <laughs> That's great advice. Um, so I'm now going to open it up to a few of my friends to ask some questions really quickly. Um, we're running out of time, so there's only going to be time for one or two of you to do it. So first come, first serve. Following up on an answer that you gave earlier where you were like, there's, it's never really too early to try to find, like, a publicist for your projects. Yeah. Is there anything that you, you've probably worked on a lot of large scale things, but you probably worked on some smaller scale things. Like what, when someone approaches you looking for a publicist, what is it that stands out to you? So even if it was like a smaller production, like you were saying, like a smaller film or low budget film that doesn't necessarily have any like. You mean doesn't have a cast that's, you know, a name cast or anything. Yeah. If it's a, if it's a cool story, I'll do it. How can you turn it down? And the thing is, if you like the people who are approaching you, I'll do that too. Was that your question? Yes, I just worded it very like, blatantly. Yes. <laughs> okay. Sorry. No, usually it's story. If it's got a great angle, it's just, it's so cool. Hello. Um, my question kind of pertains to writing. I'm really, really interested in screenwriting. So my question is like, I, like I've joined some writing groups and stuff like that, but how do I really push myself and put myself out there as a screenwriter and kind of take those risks that you were, you were highlighting and everything? Join as many groups as possible. Meet them in person if you can. Um, connect with them on social media. Be active, like interact with them. Write stuff, just keep writing. I mean, the whole thing with writing is that that's the work of writing is writing, right? So just produce stuff. Come up with ideas, do treatments. You, even if you go to Netflix, you don't even have to provide a full script anymore. So just, you, when you have an idea, flesh it out. 
and just have a library of those ideas. Let's say you're having a conversation with someone, you're at one of these groups, you have a conversation with them, and the subject comes up, and you go, I've got something on that. I actually have a treatment on that subject. If you can say it, I mean, because you know the next thing is, well, can I say it? So just write, have like a library of projects, okay? And even if they're just treatments, like a one sheet, whatever it is, that's what I would do. That's awesome advice. I just wanted to ask, I think um, it might just be me, but I find sometimes maybe in the film industry, publicity and stuff for films is kind of something that's overlooked and maybe, I don't know, budget <laughs> is maybe <laughs> spent on it. So I'm just wondering, why do you think publicity, do you think it is sort of overlooked when people who are just starting out making films, like, do you think that's something they, yeah, they yeah. like ignore? Yeah. How do you think that is? We are the runts of the film business. Really, we are. It's just, there's no getting around it. And and they usually figure it out too late. Sucks to be them. Because the ones who figure it out too late are way behind the eight ball. And the ones who have already figured it out are just so far in front. So, you know, it's the ones who figure it out early, just they're more successful. All right. So I guess to wrap this off then, I'm going to, I did ask you to prepare five film recommendations, which oh, right. I'm sure is impossible. <laughs> um, they, in have your... to, they have to be like current? No, no, not at all. I mean, it could be literally anything. It could be films that you love or th films that you think were uh, marketed well or whatever. Um, I'm going to let you kind of interpret it as you will. But yeah, but I'd love to hear what you recommend yeah. and why. Uh, my favorite film in the entire world is one that Tilda Swinton was in a long time ago called Orlando. And it's a period piece. It covers about 400 years. And there's another period piece that that is truly impossible to find these days. And that's set in the late 1700s in France and it's called Ridicule. It's a French film. Um, I love the, the movie The Insider and I love it because Al Pacino said something in it that became my motto when I was a, an investigative journalist. It was, I'm getting two things, pissed off and curious. And that really, I had it printed out, put on the top of my computer and I looked at it every single day. Um, you know, I cannot go by the movie Pretty Woman without watching it again. So I do, there is the obscene and the sublime. Um, but that's right off the bat. I didn't prepare an answer for that, so I, I feel bad, but that's That's all good. I think those are great answers. The Insider has to be uh, one of the most perfect films. There is nothing about that movie I would change, so. Also, Michael Keaton, this is the old newspaper person in me. Michael Keaton was in a movie a long time ago called The Paper, which was really good, that I liked. The scene at the end, where he's got the police chief and he's there with a the newspaper and there's, he's got it with a paper photographer and um, he's got the police chief backed into a washroom and they, they just need him to say something and he will not leave without it. And I have actually been there. I've been in a situation, not in a washroom with the police chief and all that kind of, but, but I've been there in a story. It was with the atomic energy control board, but that's not important right now. And, you just need that one and that film nails it and also he has a meltdown that is utterly sublime in that movie that's awesome thank you again so much for coming on the show this is honestly one of the most informative episodes of the podcast thus far because i literally knew nothing about publicity or how to find out about it so this has been so hugely helpful uh, to me, as I'm sure it will be for so many students, because again, I think it's something that's very overlooked, especially 
as young filmmakers. Um, but that is all for this episode of Film Kid Asks. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram or join our Facebook group. New episodes come out every Saturday. 